What do you love about being outside and active? I'm, I'm sure I've spent more time outdoors than in. That just feels like home. Enjoy what you can do because you never know what is around the corner. Just being outdoors in the fresh air, it just clears my mind. Fully immersed in nature is what brings me the most joy. Welcome back to the second episode of season 11, where this week my special guest is the lovely Sue Anstis. Sue worked in sports marketing and sports PR for over 30 years, working on highly successful campaigns, encouraging young women and girls to get into sport and active lifestyle. Her clients included sports governing bodies, national organisations, charities, events, and so many more to help make all of this a success. A founding trustee of Women's Sports Trust, Sue was awarded with an MBE in 2018 for her services to grassroots sports. As well as being a co-founder of the Women's Sports Collective, she is also a host of the award-winning podcast, The Game Changers. And if all of this isn't enough, Sue volunteers her time to support a number of different organizations across the world of sport. Just before we jump into the conversation, thank you to Fitbites for supporting the Outside and Active podcast. I'll speak a bit more about them later, but for now, let's get into this conversation with Sue Anstis. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Outside and Active podcast, where today my special guest is Sue Anstis. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Fantastic. I'm really looking forward to getting into this topic and chatting to you all about your experiences and your opinions on the topic of inclusion in women's sports and sport in general. Um, So before we jump into that, I'm going to start off this episode by offering you a piece of advice from a guest who's been on the podcast previously. And this piece of advice comes from Sir Chris Hoy. And his piece of advice actually comes from his gran. So his gran told him this piece of advice. He's passing along to you and everyone else who's listening. And the advice is very simply, if a job was worth doing, it's worth doing properly. Which I think is, uh, which is extremely poignant. How do you take that advice? <laughs> I like that advice. I'm sure my grandmother told me much the same thing too. But yeah, no, absolutely right. I think if you're, you're going to do it at all, do it well. Absolutely. And the question that we ask to everyone that comes on to the podcast is quite simply and vaguely on purpose. What do you love about being outside and active? Um, I think for me, I, I, my friends hear me say this a lot, really, especially around the open water swimming, which I do a lot of now. I think it's good for the soul. I think that's probably where it uh, resonates with me most is just the making me feel full of joy and, and uh, full of life, really. So I think that at the outdoors nature of that across my life is what's been important. Open water swimming seems to have really taken off over, you know, in recent times, massive. I haven't actually been able to do it much myself, but the people that I speak to that do it we- weekly or even daily, it's just absolutely taken off. Yeah, it does feel like people become a bit of evangelists for it, don't they, really? I do feel <laughs> it is a bit of a... A passion, I think, probably, uh, I tried a bit of triathlon for a while. So triathlon was my entry into it. And then probably six, seven years ago is when I first started. And I definitely think across that time, and and through COVID and lockdown, and I think people looking for something alternative and, you know, so much more news now around the health benefits of cold water swimming, especially. Uh, Yeah, it's definitely become more popular and more talked about, which is a fantastic thing. So, yeah, I I do like to uh, shout and raise profile for it as as an experience extraordinary thing for life generally really as well as health and well-being so cold water swimming's there now but if you wind back do you remember what your first relationship with sport or your first um touch point with sport was 
Yeah, I have quite a sporty family. So my dad was a uh, physical training instructor, actually, in the Metropolitan Police. So I think as a family, I've got three older brothers. We were all very sporty. So I think from my side, the, the, the connection with outdoors and the sport was probably playing team sport primarily um i swam a bit indoors but never outdoors as a youngster uh, and then running so running on my track and running distances and so on too so yeah kind of those were my school days of, of being the sporty girl in school and always loving sport how did that love for sport then transcend into making it a career um, I, I wanted to be a PE teacher, actually. I think that's where I, when I first went to Loughborough to study sport, that was my ambition. I had had great respect for my PE teachers. So I think that was, and actually, again, looking back in the, you know, late 70s, early 80s, as a woman wanting to pursue sport, it probably was that you were going to be a PE teacher or a coach or physio. There weren't that many roles, really. I wasn't mm. aware of that many roles for women in sport. So I went to university wanting to be a PE teacher. And then actually, while I was there, realized I loved the kind of marketing and the promotional side of it and kind of left uh, with an ambition to work more in sports marketing, which is kind of where I then started um working at Gatorade with a sports drink um so actually that was kind of how I how I left and my entry then into the more commercial side of it but yeah I think it was probably that was not all there was but that was kind of the uh, the route that was a natural route at the time and explain a little bit more about um the 27 years of running a sports PR agency where you're really trying to shine a light on NGBs on sports teams sports charities events tell me a bit more about when you when you started that role, what the landscape looked like, and how you sort of in step one look to start bringing a spotlight to those areas. Yeah, and initially that wasn't the case. I think for the first ten years or so of running the agency, we were very much in the fitness industry. That was uh, where our first clients came from, the Fitness Industry Association, working for David Lloyd Fitness First, Life Fitness, like brands and organisations in fitness. So probably t a good ten years where it was we were just a fitness industry, and I think my passion had always been for sport and through. Uh, in my, my life was very sporty but also through university and so I think it, the first uh, sporting client we started working with actually was volleyball England and then through that working for England hockey and then England England athletics and others so we kind of did more and more in that space and then I think I realized actually it's so so joyful and wonderful to work for organizations that were encouraging people primarily to get outside and active but to get involved in in sport and I think um realizing there was a huge opportunity to begin to shift attitudes and to make a difference really and that we could have done more of the following the money and working in f1 and golf and you know premier mm. league football but for us for me personally and then for the agency that wasn't really the ambition it was always much more about how we can bring the joys of, of sport and movement and business activity to a wider range of people so that was very much where we were and i, I think we obviously came at a time as things were changing and shifting. So pre-2012, uh, especially on the women's sports side, I think there was more of a, you know, it was almost pre this girl can and those kind of campaigns. Yeah. Um, but but that definitely we've been involved at a time as we've seen a great shift in terms of, of measuring and then encouraging more to take part in sport. Well, yeah, speaking of 2012, that was something that actually I spoke to Sir Chris Roy about in terms of obviously he was part of that um, and competing, but it's having a real, still having an impact now and uh, people still talking about it. But how vital was that to support grassroots sport in this country? 
Yeah, so important. I get really frustrated, I nearly swore them at cross, <laughs> about people that hold um, liberating 2012 because it didn't have the impact and the legacy that people... But actually it did so much, not just for the infrastructure of... Um, you know, East London, etc. Mm. But also for those teams in sports, we were very involved with hockey at the time. And when you then talk to Sally Mundy about the impact that it had, the number of, uh, you know, girls and boys that came to find the sport, people coming back to the sport, the profile, and, and all those things that come off the back of it. I, I do think sometimes it gets a bit of a bad rap in terms of the ex maybe the expectations that were set and articulated. But for the sports that did then, uh, like cycling and, and as I say, hockey and other sports that really did use those medals and that profile to then, I don't think it's enough just to have the gold medals and expect it will have the impact and other people will flock to a sport. But those sports that did then put programs in place and have coaches in place and activation to welcome people into their their clubs and, and sports, it clearly has had a momentous impact. Taking a slight step out and looking at the country in a whole, how good are we, good are we, or bad are we, where can we improve at, at getting as providing opportunities for people to get involved in sport where maybe their opportunities weren't presented previously? Yeah, I think Sport England, and that we work a lot with them very closely. We're, we're grateful for their kind of support of the work I do now with Fearless Women. And Sport England, an amazing job and, and are, are much better now than they've ever been before at looking at where they can really change things and shift things to ensure that we are making sport more available for all. And I think there probably has been, if I was critical at all of the landscape over the last 20 years, a bit of, uh, of giving more to those that have always done. So almost like giving more opportunity to enable those slightly privileged kids who will be sporty anyway because their parents were taken to clubs to do more of the same rather than actually thinking who has no opportunity to access mm -hmm. sport what, through where they live or in the time or in funding and all those you know lacks of opportunities so I think Sport, Organ sport England and the uh, organisations associated with it are much better now at actually looking at what we need to do to move the dial and uh, to make sport truly available for all, you know, for all people from all backgrounds. And I think we're getting better at that. And it's great that we're talking about that and that's being recognised. Just jumping in the conversation to tell you a little bit more about this week's sponsors, Fitbites. We want you to feel good with Fitbites and check out their protein-filled granola bites. With all natural ingredients for your body, you'll feel refreshed and energised to tackle the day. There are multiple tasty flavours to choose from, meaning there's something for everyone. If you're looking for a healthy alternative to crisps or chocolate, then look no further than Fitbites. If you don't want to miss out, then stay connected with them via social media or head to their website, fitbites.co.uk, to know about new products and offers. A massive event that's just concluded, the World Cup, is, um, as the time that we're recording this, you wrote an article a few days ago in The Guardian um, that I was reading, and there was... A few bits that I wanted to ask you about because um, I encourage people to go and read that article. How long until we see this thrilling spectacle, not as women's sport, but simply a sport? Which really made me think about, I blindly would look at the title of a show or a sporting event and not think about the fact that there was a women's sport, you know, women's ashes or women's World Cup or women's rugby World Cup. Um, and I wanted to ask you about the question because you were suggesting in there that when, obviously, when does it just become World Cup and Ashes and things like that? Where do you think the line is of obviously removing that, that word um, to, to try and you know, not differentiate, but also or versus 
having women's in it to celebrate the fact that it is actually women's sport and empowering that event. Where's where's the line with that? Yeah, I think my overall ambition would be that we wouldn't need to have it, uh, but we're not there yet. Mm. So anybody that thinks actually just get if you just got rid of the gender marking in sport, then people just assume it's men's. And I was in a I was on a WhatsApp group recently. They're talking about the the washes, the W ashes. It's like really we don't call it the mashes. We wouldn't call it's almost like we've put a W in front of it to make it female, but we wouldn't do the same for the men's, and therefore it's still the ashes. You know, and it's still the Tour de France, and then it's the Tour de France femme. So it's almost like we have to add that thing, that descriptor that makes it the women's version that's less than the men's. So ultimately, like your question almost like, do we, is that good and it's pro- positive and empowering that it's a female version? I'm I'm happy for that as long as it's also Chelsea men with mm. Chelsea women. As long as we're doing the men's side too. For as long as we don't do that and we just do it to the women's, it makes the women's look like it's second best. To the, the men's is the authentic one and the women's is a little bit less, a little bit inferior. And that's that's the issue for me almost until we can uh, change that. And truly, I say oh, I'm, I'm watching the Six Nations and you don't automatically think I mean the men's. You know, but we've got a long way to go until that, that shifts, I think. I think what really hit home with me was you said that you t- Googled uh, England, England <laughs> men's. Uh, no, England, England cricket, captain, England captain, cricket captain. and it took you <laughs> almost 80 results to see a picture of, of the women's captain, and it was just all the men's, and yeah. that um, the, the sexism with the Google algorithm and how, it, I think you said it's actually changing now, but hadn't, you know, for a long time didn't have that sort yeah. of... Yeah, and there's, there's an issue, I mean, there's an issue there, and it's great that Google are looking to rectify that, but also... Um, and it's so funny, isn't it? I find that so I watch a lot of women's rugby. I do lots of work with the RFU, but I'll look at you know, I'll Google what times the Harlequin Saracens kick off, and and it gives me the men's times from two, three months ago. It's like, no, I want the game that's on today, and it's the women's game. So it always makes me laugh. I'm like, really? I just don't want the men's side. But um, so that's kind of weird. But actually, in a more serious way, when we look at AI and the developments in tech, that's where it's slightly more worrying that AI is building itself based on what's gone before and what's gone before like a year ago, six months ago, two years ago. And actually, it's just replicating what's mm. already there. So I am slightly concerned that it's almost like a jokey, I couldn't find Heather Knight for 77 searches. But it's when it then becomes ingrained and fed back to us, this assumption that the men's is the proper authentic and the women's is just a lesser version that's where it becomes a bit more worrying and, and the coverage over the past few years especially I've noticed has been fantastic with the Euros the World Cup uh, the Ashes and I'm, I'm watching so much of the 100 uh, the cricket competition yeah, at the moment yeah. I've been to watch um, on the weekends and watch both games and it, it, it that has done so much um, for women's cricket especially because I'm a big cricketer how do we now, how is the industry looking now to take advantage of this real real peak time or fantastic time for sport? I guess it's down to the investment from sponsors and continuing to have this uh, engagement and marketing with uh, this industry. Yeah, it's a difficult one in terms of the bringing together and taking apart, isn't it? Because it's not the same for all sports and not the same for all sports at the same mm. time. So actually, absolutely, the hundreds done an amazing job of the bringing together the same time, the same kit, the same production, the same you know, Sky and BBC, the same TV. 
etc. And that's really positive. But actually, others have done really well by uncoupling and separating the rights, the broadcasting, and not just tagging the women's onto the game before or after. And that was six, six Nations, for instance, being I was lucky enough to put Twickenham in March for the Six Nations. There's almost 60,000 people watching England and France play um in the women's six nations that would never have been if it had been in the same window as the men so so i think sometimes it's we want almost a black and white let's do it this way let's all do this way and actually it's different for different sports but for all of the sports i think it is around further investment and recognizing and i know we say this a lot but it doesn't need to be the same as the men's that women's sport same rules and it's on the same pitches in many cases but it is a different product, it's a different audience, it's the sponsors want something different, the viewers, the 1.8 million people that watched the women's Euros last year didn't then go on to, you read the article, yeah. didn't go on to watch <laughs> the men's World Cup in Qatar. But actually that's a different, that's a very different audience of people that are there. And, men, and it's men and women, it's not just women. Um, but also I think it's almost sponsors and broadcasters and others recognising that, that it's not just a smaller version of what's gone for the men's it's not exactly the same we're not trying to take anything from it's adding more and and so probably i think if you've asked me this two or three years ago it would have been, been about trying to prove that there is an audience for it and people do want to watch it and we've shown that now with the huge crowds and the f- viewing figures because we've had good quality production value content from the broadcasters and it's going out at the right time it's not stuck at you know, the end of the day or, or time when no one's watching. So we're getting better at that. It's probably now the sponsors and others recognising the value of that and investing in that. That's that's probably the next part that needs to follow now. Yeah, I mean, picking out something else that you said in there about people talking about when's the first million-pound player going to be, and you're saying, actually, that, you know, that's all well and good, but actually, where's the funding for these lower steps? Or I'm, you know, talking particularly about football in this case, but I'm sure it's replicated across other sports. Actually, where is the funding coming from to support amateur sport and the next group of people that will be filling those spaces? So is is that part of an issue as well, where the money is not necessarily being seen at those more amateur levels or semi-professional levels? Yeah, it's, and that's definitely an issue for football because football is an anomaly in itself in terms of it, it doesn't really stack up the financials. No, no one would, you know, where the money's coming from, how much payers yeah. players are paid, uh, doesn't make any sense at all. So almost for women's football and those top footballers to try and replicate what the men are being paid, which doesn't make sense for the men, so it certainly doesn't make sense for the women. And not that I don't want women to be well paid, I do, but I want it to be sustainable and I want women that are playing in the championship to at least be getting paid. And not just the, about salary, but about strength and conditioning support, about insurance around playing on the right pitches, having the right kit. There's all those other elements too. So I think sometimes we get a bit... Um, pay is really important and equal pay and equal prize money are often the indicators of, of where we're seeing change but actually it's the whole ecosystem and everything that goes to surround that and enable women to play and, and come in and have the same academies and have the same opportunities as everything else that's around that which probably isn't always as sexy as you know banding on about how much someone's paid but actually it is all those bits that really matter to far more more women and girls. She just made me think earlier when you were talking about see the fact that these sports are being spotlighted and given the same coverage and the same quality towards it, is that that is really inspiring the next generation. I do some coaching down at my local cricket club for some of the you know the youth age groups and the girls that they're now coming back talking about um, their favourite person that they watched in the Ashes or during the World Cup or whatever, and they have the names on the backs and they're trying to replicate them, which is all just you know invaluable for showing young people that they have someone they can look up to and actually there's 
there is a route for me down this. I think you kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. There is a route for me. I don't just have to, if I want to get into sport, it's not just X, Y, Z. There is a plethora of different opportunities for me, which, which is also so important. And I think it's lovely that you say that. It's just so true. I guess my two things there is one is I love that it's little girls wanting to be like, you know, um, Kate Cross, whoever the cricketers are that they watched in the 100, uh, but also little boys too. And I think that at the end of the Euros last year, I remember leaving the one of the stadium and seeing a little boy with Mead on the back of his shirt. And that, that's amazing, isn't it? So how does he then feel towards his uh, pupils in school, his, his, you know, his classmates when he goes back to school? How does he feel about his teachers? How does he feel about his PE teachers when he's been inspired by an amazing woman doing something in, in something that he loves so much as sport? So for me, it's that power beyond inspiring young girls it's it's also changing the attitudes of, of men and boys too i think that that is really important and i do have it not another hang up i think it's really really important about the inspire the next generation but i think it's also about just inspiring people and inspiring women and i know i get really inspired by watching the red roses the roses playing in you know this year in south africa the, the you know women out lionesses out in um, the world cup that actually isn't just about little girls and what they might be it's about teenage girls and it's about women in their 20s and 30s and mothers and women as old as myself but you know women of all ages to feel that sport's something for them that they don't need to be judged for loving sport that they can enjoy sport either as a spectator or participant so i think it is um across the whole of all the ages of women that it's it's really important and it can be an inspiration and an important part of our lives yeah, the question this kind of question leads on from what you're just saying there but how prevalent or is misogyny in 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 the sporting landscape in this country yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Uh, it is shifting. I, 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 I'm, I'm an ever-optimistic person, and I, I like to look at the positive and the change that is coming, and I do think we've seen some massive, massive shifts. And yet, if you look, if you, I mean, you've, you've mentioned the World Cup. If we talk specifically the World Cup, and you look at the issues for so many of those teams that either weren't funded at all. I think someone said 10 years ago, the Spanish team received 1% of what the men's team were being paid in terms of their funding and all the issues they've had with their coach and the yeah. president now and yeah. everything else. So you just see it repeated time and time again. So so half of me is like, oh my God, I'm so inspired. This is amazing. And, and then it's like, oh my goodness, how can this still be so awful in 2023? But we are having the conversation and I think people are much more vocal about it and there are shifts happening and and i guess that's why i love sport is i do feel it has a power unlike many other things to drop not just to drive things change in sport but then to drive it back into society because it's something that impacts us all so much so that's what excites me more about it is that it, it can have impact but no without doubt and especially in the football industry itself and in uh in sport, you know, in a lot of those, like I said, a lot of the work I do in those very traditional, what were male heavy cricket, uh, football, rugby sports, it's hugely so. And I guess that just jumping in with the recent cricket, um, I see, see the report that they did yeah. in terms of holding a light up at cricket. I was really pleased that they put uh, sexism right up there with racism and the classism, the, the issues around cricket that I think sometimes it's almost like, oh, it's always been that way and therefore it will be so. Uh, but it was great to see them calling it out and saying, actually, it's completely unacceptable. So let's have some ambition for equal pay and opportunity and access. So I think, as I say, the fact we're having those conversations has to be a really positive thing. The the power of sport is is massive. I think obviously we both know that. But a lot of the argument that I hear sometimes is that, oh, sport shouldn't be political. Sport isn't political. Sports, 
Well, yeah, if you're listening to this, you won't have seen your reaction, but <laughs> if you were watching, you would have. What's your viewpoint on that? It is political. It is everything about it from who plays and where they play and how they play. You know, it, it, it's almost like you can't, I guess it's political with a big P or a little P. You can't separate those things. It's it's so much a part of all of our lives and, and everything about it. So, yeah, it's I almost feel it's a bit naive to say. I think people say that when it suits them to say that. But actually, you know, who we support, how we support them, who has access to everything about it is very, very, very much political. So let's not kind of deny that fact, but use try and highlight its positivity and use it for social purpose and to drive positive change and good. That's what excites me about sport. And speaking of driving, driving positive change and sport, you, uh, you touched on it earlier, getting involved in so many different um, things. I want to touch on a, a few of them. Uh, firstly, tell me what Fearless Women is and what it's all about. So yeah, the umbrella organisation that I do lots of my work underneath. So uh, that I wrote a book two, three years ago uh, and then have since made that into a documentary, Game On, The Unstoppable Rise of Women's Sport. So that kind of sits within that alongside uh, the Game Changers podcast. So we're just about to enter series 15, which is very exciting. Uh, it's trailblazing women in sport that we talk to and highlight some of the issues um, in sport generally around equality. Uh, and also the Women's Sport Collective, so a free network for all women that work in sport. We've now got nearly 6,000 members. Uh, and that's just a, a, a really inclusive community for women to network and connect so those things will kind of sit within fearless women and i personally do a bit of consultancy and speaking and obviously writing lovely articles for the guardian <laughs> etc uh, but kind of sharing some of the learnings that i've got and thoughts i've got from across that space too so i've been really lucky um that the agency that i ran closed at the beginning of, of covid and almost to not reinvent myself but to have a this is like what does someone say like an encore career a shift in my <laughs> career in my mid 50s uh to kind of really follow and focus on something that, that i loved and i know is having you know can have an impact in the world yeah and you'll see when you look on the women's sport collective website um you know uh seeking gender equal sports industry what what does that look like because i think there might be different opinions on what equality actually is and looks like is it equal pay is it equal opportunity and you know so many different arguments around it so what for you does that look like going forward yeah and it's almost a bit of a uh, too much of a huge ambition because if i was really quizzed on it will we ever have true equality in all things i think it's almost a bit too late for that after 150 years <laughs> odd of men you know, re ruling and managing sport. But I think a lot of it's around equity. So it's making sure that women have those opportunities to step into those roles they haven't had in the past. A lot of what we do with the Women's Sport Collective is enabling and encouraging women into those more senior leadership roles. So they can, that can then ripple out and have impact on, on sport more generally. Um, and also looking to change the system itself. It's not just around fixing the women. The women are actually doing quite well. And there's amazing, amazing women within the Women's Sport Collective and within sports industry generally so it's looking at what we can better do across the whole of a sector to enable those women to, to flourish and thrive so i guess from equality you know from a gender pay gap from an opportunity of places to work for women to feel that they can do anything that men can do in sport without being judged and belittled um you know it's, it's all of those it's so many on so many different levels and i guess you take the area that where you feel you can have an impact and ours probably is that enabling women to connect and to build some of those opportunities to attend industry events to to feel confident in those places um 
and I guess everybody plays their part. I can't fix it all, but I hopefully can have an impact in uh, an element of, and, and also to highlight the areas that need more attention so others mm. can, can uh, get on board to help drive that change too. And you're working with and supported by Sky Sports, which is, must be fantastic as well. Yeah, no, it's amazing. They've, from the very beginning, it's a not-for-profit organisation, Women's Sport Collective, and it's my, myself and Kate Hannon, my colleague that run it, and Sky came on board really early to say they would cover all of our costs. So we don't, um, in terms of the, the running and the organising of it all, and uh, yeah, we've done a couple of programmes with them uh, around mentoring some of the men in their organisations aligned to the Women's Sport Collective members too, and yeah, done some great work. So yeah, really appreciative of, of their support. And um, and actually, we're working with Sport England. So I don't not sure when this podcast is going out, but uh, we're about to announce that Sport England are supporting us moving forward too. So they they supported the game changes for the last couple of years, uh, and will be uh, a real supporting partner of the Women's Sport Collective and the game changes moving forward. So that's a kind of a huge piece for us too. Oh, amazing. Well, yeah, the Game Changers award-winning pro- podcast, uh, like you said earlier, uh, speaking to trailblazers in women's sport. What's a commonality that you've picked up, uh, I guess I guess mentally, but a theme that you've picked up through all of these incredible people that you've spoken to that, all of, whether it's in their story or in their mentality, is often something that crops up? I th- yeah, I think it sounds a bit, tri- it's almost that resilience. I think they've all had a lot of crap in, the, in their yeah. lives in one way or another. And that's whether you're Lucy Bronze coming back from multiple injuries and surgeries or you're, uh, you know, an amazing Sally, you know, uh, I say that Sally Mundy, someone who's head of UK sport or an amazing administrator or Gabby Logan as a broadcaster. I th- so I think sometimes that for all of us, it's that recognising that crap things happen, but you learn from them and you gap and move in a different direction or it takes you somewhere. So I do think uh, as I look back across all of them, and not that I go, I've always tried to make it a really positive po- podcast. I don't want to do the, to be the podcast that's looking for the little, um, sound bites the little bits of you know oh, i'm gonna get people listening etc i don't kind of clickbait type yeah. piece that we want to celebrate the good things but actually actually we, did, we released one this week we re-released one with katrina johnson thompson and you just hear her and all that she overcame and and yet oh my goodness me she's world champion again today so it's almost her as an athlete overcoming and then i look back and say all those women in in their career path who have also had ups and downs and so on so i think the corner part of that learning is yeah it, it does get tough but actually you take it and you move on and, and learn and good things come from that and uh, it's hard I think sometimes to know that I mean my, my own career I was made redundant when I was 26 from that job I loved at Gatorade but actually through that it opened new doors and I've gone on to do other things so I think that um it's hard in the moment to recognize that it could be a positive thing or good will come from it. Uh, but I think as I listen back and you interview that many of them, you realize oh, actually it's uh, overcoming and what more it enables you to do. And you've learned so much about other people's stories. Um, but what, if you to turn it back around in you, what have you learned either about yourself or what has surprised you through all of these different series and all of these different conversations that you've had? I think in the the process of making it, I've really, I mean, I think I knew that anyway. I really enjoy talking to people and like researching and learning more about people. So, and I and I think I I kind of knew that anyway. But it has reamplified the uh, from a real practical point of view of the interviewing into. I think you'll know this too as a podcast host. So, like, really privileged position to just go and have a conversation with someone that might be a you know. Jess Ennis Hill, Denise Lewis, like some of these women yeah. I've spoken to, like people like holding a huge awe and then 
that they give you the respect to come and just have a conversation and that and again you're on a podcast you know it's but the beauty of having a conversation that might be half an hour where they'll share more where it's kind of relaxed and so I think I, I've discovered how much I love that and I've kind of learned from that too so I don't know that there are I think it all filters in probably doesn't it in terms of every conversation that you have um but I think just just learning how much I have enjoyed the researching and then almost having that conversation and amplifying their stories is bit yeah I absolutely love that process yeah I couldn't agree with you more and that like you said being have the opportunity and the privilege to to, to pick a little deeper about people's stories and get an insight into their mentality and that's kind of why I asked you the question about what if what's the common theme that you see within people because again this the, the topic of this podcast is generally you get adventurers and runners and people that have done all sorts of random things and you get actually an in, so many different things and that people have achieved but actually there's usually a single common mental positive attitude or positive sort of reinforcement and um yeah things like that that, that all of them sort of have the ability to break through expectations and boundaries and a, a similar characteristic that i'm sure the people that you speak to on your podcast have as well a couple of questions before you come to your advice which i'm looking forward to um but i'm very aware that i'm sitting here as a as a white male that's been provided with lots of opportunity in sport and hasn't encountered sexism what can i be doing in sport what can i be doing to support to uh i don't know whether allies the correct word or What's my role in this and where can I be helping? Because there will be other people yeah. listening to this that will be thinking the same thing as well. Absolutely. And I think ally is fine. A lot of people do have an issue with the term ally. I think it's absolutely fine. I think it is to uh, magnify and support. And I think just the fact that you're asking the question is a great thing. So I think the, the listening and uh, being open to think about what it is. I think there's, for too many people, it's almost like an assumption of I'm, I'm just here and I will just, um, I'm not, uh, there was some fantastic stuff actually that came out around Black Lives Matter around the not being I'm not racist but I'm actually anti-racist and I think that is exactly the same on this side of sexism within the industry oh I'm not sexist yeah but don't just not be sexist be anti-sexist be uh, uh, that kind of um use it as a as a verb really being an ally what you know to do something to make a difference to call it out to think of opportunities for others rather than just being a decent guy who isn't you know, misogynistic and negative that's well that's good um that, that's your base level <laughs> tick, like yeah. use a start <laughs> yeah take that uh, but actually to think about what more i could be doing and i and i I'm, and i've had to say face the same thing i guess in terms of uh, on the racial side of, of us as a collective are we doing enough to champion women are we making sure that every time i've got a series of podcasts i've got women of all different back whether that's disability whether that's you know different uh backgrounds different cultural backgrounds so i've had to learn not learn that myself but to unlearn some of my own history so i think it's almost taking some of those learnings and using that on the female side too every time you're putting together a, a guest list or you're putting together a panel or an event you know in it, in it, it does take a while to check and challenge and look at it through a different lens but then it becomes more natural so i think it is almost uh, making a point and, and not to chastise yourself for getting it wrong in the past or getting it wrong now but actually making an effort um to to do more to demonstrate more to think of bringing other people forward i think that's probably the, the place to start and actually it just reminded me when you were when you were answering that about uh, i was looking for all of the amazing guests that you've had on on the podcast and obviously the, the the vast majority of women, but Ian Wright, you've 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 spoken to as well, who has been yeah. a massive 
um, advocate for especially the World Cup and, and, and football and the Euros and all of that type of thing. So how important people like him of having those, again, I'm not just an anti-sexist or not misogynist, I'm going much f- further the other way. Yeah, it's just interesting. Isn't it? We had him, Hugo Monnier, and Jonathan Lick from Sky as those kind of male ally guests. And uh, I was in a conversation recently with someone about Andy Murray, who's fantastic uh, in that whole. But I've watched showing that we almost need to name, I can name them on my hand, the men that have really stood up and called out and said, no, it's not. I'm not the only medal winner. You know, Serena and <laughs> Venus won medal, gold medals before me or whatever. Andy's doing this time calling out sexism. But it's funny that five, it's five, six, well, that was yeah. like 2012, it was that was, so in that comment with John Inverdale. That's the 11 years ago. Like, actually, where are all the other men? Where are all the professional footballers? Where are the others? So I, so I think it's great that we celebrate, and I'm really pleased that Ian Wright's called things out. as he And, and it's properly, I guess that comes back to the piece of it's not just a male ally. He just loves sport. He loves men's sport. He loves women's sport, and he's been their champion. And, and his voice is important because he's so high profile. Um, but actually, where are, where are all the others? So I do think it's, yeah, that comes back to that whole it's not enough just to, be doing your job actually let's let's try and work harder to create some equity and opportunity the final question i wanted to ask you is what's we you know there's been so much great work that's happened um over the past you know 30 30, 40 years but what's the next step where where are we looking to to go next what really needs to change and what can we continue to be doing yeah i think in terms of an industry as a sector, it is around investment. Uh, you know, it's sad in a capitalist society that we live, but that is what it comes to. So I do think it is, whether that's investment in schools and in uh, you know, the teaching and education access of clubs, or it is at that top level, which is where I've done much of my work in the past in terms of sponsorship and funding and broadcast rights and so on. So I do think it is around um, the investment and the and the I can't say that the proportion of money that goes <laughs> from different organisations to uh, kind of different genders and so on too. So I do think that that probably is the key place. And I don't think we're done with coverage, but I think coverage is so much better than ever it has been before in terms of the broadcasters. Uh, and you know, obviously we need to keep calling them out and celebrating them when they do it well. Uh, but that's better than it has been. But I think it is that ongoing investment. And 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 actually that everyone has, is an activist. Everyone's got a part to play to call out. Why is it you no know, lovely? We love the hundred. It's fabulous. Equal prize money. Why are they not paid equally? Why are those amazing women that you're watching on the same afternoon playing as the amazing men on the same channel, in the same kit, in the same... But they're not getting paid the same? Well, that can't be right in 2023, surely. So I think sometimes it's um, it's almost like stopping and think <laughs> someone needs to say it and then you kind of call it out and question too. So I think we've all got a role to play in, in making it a better space. Everything will be linked in the descriptions of this podcast, but where can people go to find out about all of the amazing initiatives that you're involved with and more about you. Yeah, the fearlesswomen.co.uk is where you can find the Game Changers podcast. It's on all podcast channels, but it's also there. And the Women's Sport Collective, you can join from there and everything about the book and documentary and all other things we do. And I'm generally across social media. I do a lot on LinkedIn uh, at Sue Anstis and also on Instagram, Facebook. Kind of not so much on Twitter now (laughs) than I used to, but yeah, in most places at Sue Anstis. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and opinions. There's just one more thing that I need from you, and that's a piece of advice that I can pass on to a guest coming onto the podcast in the near future. 
Yeah, I feel like I don't have a beautiful soundbite like Chris <laughs> Hoy. Um, but I think it's about being brave. And I, and I again, it's um, slightly trite, isn't it, that step outside your comfort zone. But I think be brave and, and try new things. And, and I'm going to a little explainer rather than you can just pass on the one sentence, can't you? But I think for the cold water swimming for me, that if anyone has said even 10 years ago, I'd be going into two and a half degree water every week and whatever and swimming, but I haven't. It's the most amazing thing. And from doing those things, it enables you to then go and do other things in life. You do something that's a bit scary, but once you overcome it, in the outdoors also, I think you can then take that back into life more generally. So, yeah, I would find something that really scares you and do it would be my advice. Open water swimming, you're doing that in the morning? Yeah, early morning. Got to be. Great way to start your day. <laughs> Sue, thank you so much. I look forward to passing that advice along. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the Outside and Active podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please make sure to leave a rating or a review and forward it on to someone who you think would enjoy it just as much as you. It really helps to grow this Outside and Active community. I'll be back next week with another fantastic guest on the Outside and Active podcast. But until that time, I've been Dominic Brown. Enjoy the outdoors. Enjoy the outdoors.